Good morning, everyone. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in the middle of a series. Uh, but before, before we start, I do want to give a little shout out to my friend Monica, uh, formerly known as Monica Salas, who has returned to us with a husband. Uh, that's the way to do it, sister. Go and get a husband and bring him back. And uh, her husband, Sean, is not here today, but he will be here with us next week. So just want to say hello and we love you. We missed you. All right. So we're doing a, a lesson called, or a series called The Source, and uh, we're kind of doing a, a number of different topics, a number of different uh, sources of life that God uh, has done for us, and recognizing who the source is. And so today we're going to talk about a source of a blessed life. You know, I would consider my life blessed, and I hope you consider your life blessed, living where we live in Ventura County. Uh, who we are, our children, having kids, whether you're a college student or single, uh, you know, we uh, can, can forget about what, is, what does it mean to have, what does it feel to, be, to have a blessed life, and we can kind of forget that, you know, and we get caught up in worry and the next bill and everything else, and we think our life is not blessed, but in fact, if we recognize, we want our life to be blessed, so we're going to talk about the source of God for a blessed life, and this is a map of the, uh, of the world. It's a current map. It's, you know, we have satellite up, up there, satellites going around the earth, flying around, that can give us exact locations of little islands that are out there. I think it's Hawaii out there. Uh, they have all these little tiny little places that the satellite can find. But it was not always the case when people were first discovering the world. You know, back in the day, this was considered the map of the world. And uh, as you can see, um, they're missing a good chunk of California here. (laughs) California's missing on the map. This is a map of 1596, and they are missing some parts, uh, very important parts. California's gone. What do we do? And as, as these maps are updated, I hope that today we can update you as far as your relationship with God. Amen. And maybe your map spiritually has got some things missing. Maybe you don't have the, for the clearest picture of God. Maybe your map is like this, and you know, maybe after today, it'll get more clear. You'll see God in a clear, more meaningful way to say He is the source of a blessed life. You know, so we're going to look at that this morning. And one of the things we're going to talk about this morning is one of the names of God. And I've done a, a lesson that how, how God is trying to relate to us and how He's trying to reveal Himself to us. And at first He revealed Himself to us as this God named El. Right? This is this God up there. You know, they had, this, they had the moon up there at night. It'd, it'd be lunar. It'd be quarter moon, half moon, full moon. That freaked people out back then. And so they were like, what is that? It must be a God. So they would call it the higher power. We can't control this. He's a, it, it's the moon God. And then the sun would come out, and the sun would give life, and things would grow because of the sun. And so they named that a god. And so they would always name things of nature, things that had higher power, things that humans couldn't control. And so God revealed Himself and said, Hey, no, I'm Elohim. I created all these things. And then later on, He reveals Himself as Yahweh and El Shaddai. And later on, as Jesus says, Hey, when you think of God, when you pray to God, call Him Father. And then Paul says, hey, you can even call Him Abba, right? And so we're going to look at that today. And 
We're going to take a look in the Bible of a passage, and, and really an episode in the history of the family of God. Look with me in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to give you a little background to this passage. I'm going to have it on the board as well, but if you have your Bibles, I love that people open it and look at it and get a really good feel for the Scriptures, whether it's an iPhone or, or, or an Android. Uh, please open your Bibles. This is, a, this is a part in history of God's people where there was a man named Abram and he had a nephew named Lot. And Abram and Lot together, along with his father, left this land called Ur. And God had asked Abraham or Abram to go down to the land of Canaan, which he did. And so Lot and Abram came together into the land and God had blessed them abundantly. Now, understand this. Abraham left a good situation. He left, he left one, of the, one of the largest metropolitan areas of his time called Ur, and they excavated it, and it's an amazing place, had an amazing market, but he was wealthy there. He was blessed there, and God asked him to move to Canaan. So he had to give up some things, but he did. And when he got to Canaan, him and Lot, they were, they were shepherds, so they had tons of flocks and tons of sheep and tons of cattle, and he got so, they were blessed so much by God that their shepherds started to fight with each other about where to, where to pasture their, their, their sheep. And so they came to a, 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 an agreement. God says, hey, let Lot pick wherever he wants to go, and then you go in the opposite direction. So Lot had first dibs of the land. And Lot chose, I'm going to go over there by the plains of the Jordan. It's rich, it looks really great environment for my flocks. I get first dibs. Wouldn't you like to have first dibs from your brother, or your cousin, or relatives? So he gets and he goes over there, but it's near the land of Sodom at that time. And so Abraham, Abraham goes the other direction. And over the course of time, in that area, they were like city-states. Sodom had a king. Gomorrah had a king. All these places had kings. And they were subject to another king. And they, and they revolted against this king. And they, were, and they attacked him. But they lost. And the king came in and took, uh, he took uh, Sodom captive, took their people, took their riches, took their valuables. And along with that, they took lots with them. So that's kind of the background. So this guy escapes the war, okay? It's kind of like warlord country, so to speak. So in, in Genesis chapter 14, in verse 13, we'll read together. A man who had escaped reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive... He called out the 318 trained men born in his household, went in pursuit as far as Dan. And during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. You know what strikes me about this passage? Is that Abraham... And there was no Abram, there was no bitterness with Lot. You know, he, he could have easily got that bonehead. Why did he go? I, why did he choose that area? It's shady over there. There's just no bitterness. He's not mad at Lot. He sees Lot's in danger, and he risks his life to go and save his his, his nephew. Now, what's also interesting in this passage is that he had a stock of 318 men trained. Now, they weren't born trained. You have to train men. Just think about the preparedness 
of what Abram was doing with what he had. He knew he, knew he was in warlord country. He knew that at any moment, one king can come over and just take all his stuff. So he's prepared. He's prepared 18 men in his household. And then look at the, the military brilliance. You know, he's a shepherd. But he knows to divide his men. And he attacks the other side by night. You know, the only people that attack at nighttime in our current modern day military are special forces. They go in at night. Why? Because they see better, they say, at night. Right? They have special glasses and goggles. They can see you at night and the enemy can't. Abram, here, had his trained men prepared, took them out, divided his forces, and defeated the kings that took his nephew Lot. The courage demonstrated here. The loyalty demonstrated here. The planning. Faithful. He's good-hearted. He doesn't have a chip on him because of Lot's decisions. He goes and rescues his relative. Because he wanted to take him to the promised land. So in verse 17. After Abram could return from defeating Kedor Lamer and the king's allied with them, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. You know, on Abram's return, the victorious Abram, a loving man, a prepared man, a faithful man was on his way home. And he had all the possessions of battle. You know, back in those days, you know, to the victor goes the spoils. You owned it all. And he had it all. He had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of people. And if you know about building empires, if you ever played software games like Age of Empires, you need a lot of villagers to win. You need, you need manpower to, to garden, to, to watch the flock, to cut the trees, to get the stone, to mine. You need manpower. And so here's Abraham. He conquered. He got all the manpower and, and all their valuables. And the goal of having an empire is if, if you control the resources and the manpower, you win. And here's Abram. He has it all. And then there's two kings that come out to meet him. The king of Sodom, who, is, who just got defeated. Talk about an economic collapse of Sodom. One day he was on the item of the high life, and the next, everything was ravaged. All his valuables were taken from him. And he shows up to meet with Abram. But also another king comes. His name is Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. Now he comes with bread and wine. That's very interesting, isn't it? He comes with bread and wine. He comes in peace. And Melchizedek is referred later in the Bible, and it's actually a typology of who Jesus is to come. So that's, that's another study that's for another day. But, but Melchizedek comes to greet Abram, but he greets him with a blessing. He says to Abram, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and and earth, and to be praised to be God Most High, who delivered you, who delivered your enemies 
into your hand. That was his blessing. And that's an interesting passage. Because there's two very different kings. And he does not mention his preparedness of having 318 men. He doesn't say, man, you know, I want to praise and lift you up because you were prepared with your 318 men, the foresight, the wisdom to know that this could possibly happen and you were ready. He doesn't mention that. He doesn't mention... Hey, you you got there, you attacked at night, you divided your forces. What military genius! He doesn't mention that either. Wow, the military prowess! You were ready! He doesn't mention that either. But he does mention, God gave you the victory. That's what he does mention. It is God who gave you the victory. You know, what's our reaction? What's in our heart of hearts? Man, those are my 318 men. Oh, I studied the layout of the map. I had the contour map, elevation. Oh, I studied it. I mean, that's what we would fill our hearts. Hey, I, I did this. You did something pretty awesome. You can't help but say, I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's in our nature. You hit a three-point J and someone in your face, you're like, in your face, baby, in your face. You're pointing at the guy, right? That's what we do in basketball. Or you hit an home run, you just look at the pitcher. Right? That's what we do. You score a goal in soccer, you run to the stadium, you take off your shirt. I wouldn't do that nowadays, but... Ah! Right? Why? Because that's our nature. We want the credit. We want to say, I'm good. All the hours of work is about me. This is good stuff. Celebrate my blessed life. But Melchizedek says, nothing about that. Not a peep. But he says, God Most High gave you your victory. You know, Melchizedek is the king of Salem. And eventually, that place is uh, ruled by the Jebusites. And later on, David conquers it and it's called Jerusalem. The city of peace. So it's another study for another time. But Melchizedek, he's equated to Jesus. He's a priest, and he's also a king of God Most High. That's interesting. I'm going to point that out in a second. He comes out to show Abraham a, a really a looking forward to a path of peace. He comes out with bread and wine. And, he, and Melchizedek steps forward and shares about his relationship with God Most High. And Abraham likes that. That connects with Abraham so much so that Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils of battle. That was his reaction to Melchizedek. I am with you. I like that you have acknowledged God Most High. I'm acknowledging God Most High too. It's almost like a divine partnership. And Melchizedek shares about his relationship with God. Not only that, but he shares about God has given him the victory. And what's interesting about this passage... This is the very first time in the text of the Bible of a newer name of God being called God Most High was El 
Elion. Was it now, the first time we see this in the text of the, of the, of the Bible, is God most high. Now in that time, there were a lot of gods, there were a lot of L's, there, there was an L of the agriculture, L of the storm, L of the, L of the fields, L of the harvest. There was a lot of L's, L of the steer and the bull. But he says, it is El Elyon, God, he's above all the gods that we can know in this area of our world. Out of all these L's, there is one God greater than all of them. His name is El Elyon. God Most High. He elevates this God, our God, the Hebrew God, above all gods. Yes, above the God of your brand new car, or your brand new mortgage payment, or your brand new shoes, or your brand new this, or your brand new that. He is the God above all. That is the first time it's being used. It's used otherwise else in the Bible, but this is the first time it is used. In a world where everyone had a local God, this God was above all gods. He is our God. We, yeah, we call Him Elohim. We call Him El Shaddai. We call Him Yahweh as well. When you, when you read in the Bible, God Most High, it's the phrase El Elyon. God Most High. The source. The bringer. He gives you victory. Even though when you don't want to acknowledge it. You ever have victorious things spiritually happen? God was involved. It's also the first example of a tithe in the Bible. It's not commanded. It's a complete tenth. And it is spontaneous. Abraham relates to Melchizedek and says, God, and he added out of it, so spontaneous recognition that God is the source of all things. What does Abram do? He gives a tenth. It's not even commanded. There was no law at this time. It was just a spontaneous response to him recognizing who is the source of all things. And that is God. From his heart, he's in agreement with Melchizedek. He is recognizing that God, El Elyon, is to be praised. Here is my spontaneous, I will give you a tenth of what I've, what I've fought for. Here it is, because it, in my mind, in my heart, it is all God's. That is the first time we see a tenth. Early on, Adam and Eve, their sons, they, they gave a portion, right? In Genesis, Abram gave a tenth. And there was another king. And we have Melchizedek. But there was another king. And this guy is the king of Sodom. Verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and the goods of... Uh, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Want to know why he wanted the people? Because he wanted to rebuild his empire. He needs people. He needs manual labor. He needs work. Right? But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. 
I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. I appreciate Abram not speaking for the other guys. <laughs> hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, Abram. You know, I appreciate him respecting his friends. Hey, if they want to do that, that's fine. But as for me, he has this relationship with El Elyon that says to the king of Sodom, who, by the way, has no footing to negotiate terms. He just got his butt kicked, and then Abraham got all the stuff back, and he's like, well, I'll tell you what. Um, give me the men, keep all the stuff. You, you're in no position to negotiate the audacity, the boldness, the arrogance that you even try to negotiate with what's not yours. It's like me coming over to your house. Tell you what. You keep the used car, I'll take the new car. I'm just, just walk away. Just... I have no position to negotiate, to come to your house and say, okay, you can keep that, I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll, I'll just keep this. You would throw me out of your home. This is the attitude of the king of Sodom, which eventually you know what happens to that city. If you know the Bible, that city eventually gets destroyed because it's so self-centered, so self-focused. He makes no recognition, not even to, hey, wait, have the 318 men train, Abram. Wait to attack at night. You think even he would be in a warning sense, hey man, great job, great job. Man, you were prepared, you were ready at night, divided your forces, you were ready for the attack, man. Whoa, you're a king. Doesn't say anything. So you take the stuff and I'll just take the men. That was his attitude. No recognition of El, Elyon, or even Abraham. Just give me your stuff. That was the king of Sodom. And it's no wonder generations later what happens to that city when you have a leader like that. And in Ezekiel 49, God gives us an insight into why he destroyed Sodom. Because it was so selfish. It was so into itself. Self-love. All about them. And in this situation, Abraham has this relationship with El Elyon. He says, I have made an oath that I will take nothing from you. Because I know who the source truly is. See, in Sodom's mind, the king there, his, his only answer is, hey, just defeat and win, defeat and win, and I'll get it for myself. Hey, Abram goes, no, God is the source of a blessed life. God is the one who's good. God is the one who gives. And so he makes this vow, I will take nothing from you. Not a penny. Can you believe that? No acknowledgement of God on King Sodom's part. But on Melchizedek's part, he comes with bread and wine, showing a path of peace. And he recognizes El Elyon. Sodom, king, has no recognition. Zero. No acknowledgement of Abraham. Abraham's courage, preparedness, his bond to family. Wow, you went after your nephew. That's amazing. What a story. That'd be on today's news. Like We'd all cry. Oh my God, save somebody. We'd be like, that's an, that'd warm our hearts. It says nothing. Zero acknowledgement that God Most High brought the victory. You know, El, this word El, to Abram and Melchizedek, they weren't just talking about a local God, because that was the that was the normal thing back then. You know, we everyone's got a local God today. And we say, Oh my OMG! 
Right? This is a, we have a local God. Everyone's called OMG, OMG, OMG. Texting, OMG. Twitter, OMG. That's like the local God. That's not El Elyon for you. That's just an L. You have a God. His name is L. His name is OMG. You say that all the time. Right? That is a, so he's saying this L, El Yon, is God most high. He's the most high God. He is the God that will give you a blessed life. That's what this God is. We try to figure out how to be blessed on our own terms. That's our problem. In many ways, we're like the king of Sodom. We think everything is about our benefit, our, our, our accumulation of things. And we miss the source of a truly blessed life. Now, for, for, for Abram to come back with all that goods, he says, take it all. I want nothing from you. If my, if my buddies want something, that's their, that's their business. But I am made a vow. I want nothing because I don't ever want you to say that this company made me rich. I don't want you to say that working for a blank company made me rich. Whether it's Amgen or Raytheon or Teledyne or working for any, any organization. I don't ever want them to say, oh, they made me rich. That's the same. He's telling, he's telling this guy has all the loot. Take it all. I don't want nothing. Because I know where a blessed life comes from. We can achieve so much and give so little credit to the person that made it all happen. El Elyon. We can so much be like the king of Sodom. The most high God. And we just want to expand your map today. Maybe your map is a 1596 spiritually. We just want to update your map. Maybe you're going, like, I've never heard that before. I never knew that. We're updating your map. The satellite's coming over, right? It's going to update. We're going to get the topography right. Because we have to update. Are you open to having your map updated? Are you open to seeing God in a different way? Expanding. So here are two other kings. Right? And there's God, El, Elyon. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Two kings came to Abram. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose who is the blessed source of life. Who is the author of life? You have to choose. El Elyon or you? Or Sodom? You have to choose. That's the great thing about El Elyon. He says, you decide. You choose. And it's a spontaneous flowing heart of gratitude that he wants from your heart. That's why it says in the scriptures, we don't want you to give under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek it says, hilarious giver. It's so funny that I would think this is mine. It's hilarious. God loves that giver. Because that's what Abram showed God. Out of a spontaneous heart. Because he 
is the one that gives me victory. He is the one that's the author of life. He is the source here. No commandment. Didn't have to be told. That is the perspective that we see in the people of God. Maybe this is updating your map. Maybe you're like, I don't care. Maybe we're updating your map. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's real good. There was a battle for Lot, and it was a battle for Abram's heart. And when you notice by Abram's heart, he made this sworn vow that I will never worship two masters. That's why it was such great conviction. You have conviction on certain things in life. When someone violates your core conviction, you're like, no way! Right? You're like, no way am I paying the speeding ticket. You're wrong, officer. No way. You're right? That's the, that was my attitude in college. So I didn't show up for court. No way. You were wrong. I'm not even showing up. Yeah, that's what happens. When something violates your core conviction, it makes you go, mm, no way. Right? But it, are your core convictions based on the source of life. Because that's what Abraham's convictions were based on. The source of life. It's good to talk about money. Because it can master us. If we don't acknowledge who the source is. Tithing. Here's a couple things I want to point out about tithing. Tithing demonstrates that I know my blessings come from God, He is my source. Amen. I will not acknowledge that this one company made me rich. No, it is He is my source. Now, the second thing about tithing, it declares that God is most high. God Elion is most high in my life. I'm a servant. I can serve Him. I can do things. I have. I can serve the Most High God. I can be active. I can do things spiritually for Him. I'm here to serve my God. Thirdly, tithing proclaims my confidence that I can do whatever God calls me to do. He leads the way. He called Abram out of Ur to go to Canaan. He says, go go get Lot. Boom, he has it. God leads the way. We can be confident that God will be with you. That's what Melchizedek acknowledged. It wasn't your 318 trained men. It wasn't your military genius, strategically dark, nighttime dividing forces. It was me. That's what Melchizedek blessed Abram. It was God who did it. There's some practical ways to acknowledge the source. Now, I hope that your attitude is of gratitude and spontaneity. I I am not going to sit here and command you to give a tithe. I will not do that. But I do want you to know that God will test our hearts. God will test our hearts. This is not a command. This is an expression of who is our El Elyon. That's what this lesson is. Because if you think this is a command, you're missing the point of the lesson. You're missing the point. Give to El Elyon, you save. That's what he wants you to do too. And live on the rest. Three things that I live by personally. I give. I save. I live on the rest. 
It is God who gives me my blessed life. Amen. A couple things about underneath that. One is giving and giving consistently. Because I, I do it online because I am just, I am, it is the way I want to express my joy to God. Give a percentage. Give something. Where is your gratitude? Where is your spontaneity? For some, we've been giving a tithe for a while. It's no, it's no big deal. We've been doing it for years. Not that we're commanded. We just love to give it. <coughs> Number four would apply to us. Give generously. Amen. Give generously. This is an acknowledgement of gratitude, a spontaneity that you're saying to God, El Elyon, you are my source. I am your servant. You lead the way. And you're no longer OMG. You're El Elyon. You're God most high. You're above all things. You mean so much to me. And let's say Abraham, Abram does this. He did it and he's fired up. But we look at this passage right as chapter 14 ends in the beginning of 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Okay? What happens when the source isn't providing the source? Let's read on. But Abram's a sovereign Lord. What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be their heir. It was amazing about Abram. In a culture where children showed how much an El or El Elyon was with you, he had none to show forth. Zero. In our culture, less is more with kids, right? In their culture, more is better. And he had zero. And he still acknowledges spontaneity. Thank you. You are the source of life. The source of all good things. Even though he was childless. But here you have it. Here you have him saying, God, I don't feel like you've been... I haven't felt the blessings. I'm childless. My, to a Jewish man, giving an inheritance to children was a big deal. And he's saying, I have no children. So when you feel like the, the, the source of life is not providing, you go to the source. You go to the source and say, Lord, hey, I'm childless. This guy's going to inherit everything. You go to the source. You don't go to Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> you don't get on Amazon.com. You go to the source. And that's what Abram does. And then God says this to Abram. This man will not be your heir. I got to imagine how old Abram is. He's near his his 80s. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him Righteousness. 
Wow. We look at this man. We look at this man doubting. Hey, God, let me tell you something about doubting. Doubting is a, is a real thing. To walk around saying that you don't not doubt, I say to you this, get real. Stop being self-righteous. Stop being so prideful. Doubting proves your faith is genuine. It proves that your faith is genuine. Abraham was, was accredited as righteous. Though he doubted. He, God promised him a son in his old age. Sarah was almost in her 90s when she had him. This is 20 years later he has a son. It wasn't like he had a son the next year. Many years have passed. But he, but he acknowledges that this man will not be his heir. So I want you to think about your map. Your spiritual map. Maybe we added something today. Maybe you noticed there were some missing pieces to your spiritual map. Maybe you noticed that, you know what? I've been giving reluctantly. I've been giving with not a good heart. Maybe we're going to add to that map. You know what? I'm, I'm going I'm to get closer to God. I'm going to find my gratitude. Or maybe you're like, hey, I'm realizing that, you know, I'm like more like the king of Sodom. Hey, uh, God, I'm going to give you this. I'll take this. I'll give you a little pinch. I'm going to take the rest. Maybe, maybe you're the king of Sodom. Maybe, hey, maybe we're going like, well, my map is incomplete. What on this map spiritually is being added? And I hope we added something to your map this morning. Just imagine your life going from OMG to El Elyon. Making that leap. Going to, you, you dabble with church. You come once in a while. OMG, I was there. But I want to take you from OMG to El Elyon. Come on, Gio. The God Most High. All right. We want, we want a clear map. We want an updated map spiritually. Because El Elyon is here for you. God Most High is here for you. Thank you for your time.